Fintech Footprints is a special series by Fintech Cappuccino debating the why, what and how of innovative fintech projects bravely propelling into a future unknown. Today we cover a bank's payment outsourcing journey. Hey Brian. Hey Connie, I have an idea. As we talk with the people behind Fintech on Saturday morning, shall we do a special on some of the cases they have been involved with? Yeah, sure, that's a good idea, but no editorials, please. So let's dive a little deeper and ask, you know, around the real questions and some context, some debate, if that's possible, and cut a bit through the, the, the hype. Um, but some real life examples is a great idea. Yeah, okay, so let's start with your favorite uh, topic, payments. Uh, yes. Everyone talks about outsourcing, but who has done it? Oh, well, they're all talking indeed. But in Holland, I think Valanschot Bankiers, one of the oldest banks, was one of the first to make the move. Uh, correct. Ah, and that's a double whammy. They outsourced the Fidor, remember? The German Fidor, which is nowadays part of the Sopra Banking Software Group. Yeah, that's good. That's great. I love multi-level stories. So let's go for that. So it'd be something like... Welcome to Fintech Footprints, the stories of transformation and the imprint they leave behind. Something like that? Yes, Fintech Footprints, there it is. Okay. Hey, call you back. Bye-bye. Bye. Dance me to your beauty with a burning violin. Dance me through the panic till I'm gathered safely in. Lift me like a Welcome, Michael and Ernst. This is a special episode, Fintech Footprints, the cases that people build. Welcome to you both. Ernst, what news caught your eye this week? Hi, Brian. Well, um, the news my eye uh, caught on was the explosive increase of cyber fraud. Compared to 2019, a plus of 400%, which is amazing. Wow. Mainly because of uh, spoofing and phishing. Uh, and on the other hand, the, the difficulty with exchanging, exchanging data between banks because of the privacy legislation, which is, well, a difficult thing, I would say. Sure, sure. And you, Michael? Well, thanks, Brian. I think the same thing, but uh, from a different point of view. You know, in Bavaria, we now have school again, so a vacation is over. And um, lots of homeschooling still starting and distance learning. So I think there is a regression or a connection between Ernst cyber fraud and people staying at home so much. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. As early as 2012, Gareth Lodge, a preeminent payments analyst, dared to write the paper, Changing Habits of a Lifetime, about possible sourcing models, models around payments. At the time, a no-go area, as payments were viewed to be the backbone of the banking relationship and as such belong firmly in-house. In 2017, however, Valanschot was the first Dutch bank to put exactly this on the boardroom agenda. Our payments are core and essential customer fix. And do we have to or want to process these in-house? A courageous move at the time that resulted into a full outsourcing relationship with Fidor Solutions. We speak to the two main players of then and today. Welcome Ernst Janssen, Managing Director at Valanschot Kempen, a Dutch specialist, independent wealth manager, dedicated to the creation and preservation of wealth with a history dating back to 1737. Today, Ernst is working as COO for the private bank 
and for the asset manager under the brand Campen Capital Management. With a career dedicated to payments and financial services, he was at the helm of the outsourcing project. Our second guest is Michael Maya, CEO of Feeder Solutions and more importantly, one of the founders of the first European fintech bank Fidor, dating back to 2009. Technical conscience then and now as part of the Sopra Banking Software Group through an acquisition last year. Welcome, Michael. All right, let's dive in uh, immediately, uh, gentlemen. Let's start with the why. So uh, coming back on Connie's introduction, which question was actually on the boardroom agenda, Ernst? Uh, payments as a strategic service or the technical processing side of pay payments? Well, uh, the question on the boardroom agenda, uh, and then we are going back to 2015 uh, already, was, uh, was a quite simple one. Uh, do we continue offering payment services to our clients as a wealth manager or not. Doing nothing was not an option uh, given our old, uh, inflexible and costly system, which was, uh, well, a quite old mainframe. Um, so two options on the table, uh, stop or find a partner in business. All right, well, that uh, sounds clear to me. And um, at the time, Michael, um, Fidor had started off as a bank. And um, you then sort of came up with the idea, well, if it works for us and it runs for us, can we also outsource this as a service? Is that how it went or is the story slightly differently? Well, strategically, Connie, that would be the, uh, the appropriate answer. Um, the, real answer the real truth is we have been found from other partners and we've been brave enough to offer that. Um, but on the other hand, of course, we leveraged on, on the, on, on the situation that we had a license and we had a technology in place, which was superior those days. And for that, actually, it was clear that we wanted to really go into that and, and, and do outsourcing and offer for others. And, uh, banking as a service or platform as a service, those days was the creation of it, even that it was a little bit early. Yeah. It surely was early. Hey, and, and um, sorry that I'll break in, but moving back to you, Ernst. Um, so we understand the boardroom agenda, but um, what options were at the table actually at Valanschop? Well, um, we did uh, a lot of research. Uh, so we visited conferences uh, and, and that sort of things to investigate the maturity of this kind of solutions. And so working with a partner in business on, uh, on especially on the payments platform side. Uh, we did that together with a big consulting firm uh, who helped us with the, the selection. And then, uh, well, uh, in this uh, in this whole research uh, thing, Feeder came up or appeared via our network. And was it primarily for you, because we sort of quickly went over this, like uh, our payments, you know, do we want to offer these to customers? Was that actually a cost reflection? Because And the reason why I'm asking uh, Ernst is because... If you looked at sort of 2012 and the report I mentioned earlier, 90% of the people were considering outsourcing because of the cost issue. That was the prime second and third uh, cause. And if you look at the reasons that people look at outsourcing today, cost comes fifth. So I'm just curious to sort of see like what was the main driver? Was it the cost element or freeing up staff? Yeah, well, uh, I would say a combination. Um, so, so actually we had... Um, maybe three priorities at that time. Uh, one is to offer modern payment services to our customers. 
And with modern, I mean real-time, 24-7, with a payments app uh, and that sort of things. Uh, two was to limit investments uh, and management attention uh, to meet future payments requirements. And thirdly, uh, to decrease IT run and maintenance costs. Uh, and there, uh, it, 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 it should be an enabler to phase out our old, inflexible, and let's say costly mainframe. All right. Hey, hey and, Ernst, and where did you cut the line between in-house and outsourced? How did you define that? I mean, was that, did you, did you discuss that with, um, with at that time Fedor or was it, um, upfront already known or how, how did you make that choice? Yeah, that choice was was quite easy um, because as a private bank or better said, a wealth manager, every contact with our clients is is really important, um, and we want to do that personal. So a client at VLK is most of the time not having contact about one single product, uh, but it's always about uh, a bit more than that, and we do have uh, a real relationship. Besides that, as a private bank. We want to be sure to deliver one and the same client experience. So therefore, we decided to cut the line at the technical part. Uh, so the platform part is outsourced. And let's say the client interaction and operations is at VLK. Yeah. So that is that is definitely, as we see the sliding scale from sort of technical outsourcing all the way up to maybe even have payments as a service. And Michael... You guys were working with um, some more customers at the time. Did you, um, first, my first question would be, like, were, you were obviously not involved in that decision, but do you see the difference in working with other customers? What is easier? Is it just to sort of run the technical side of it, or do you also run the service element and literally payments as a service for others? And, you know, do you get involved in those discussions? <laughs> well... Those days, it was clearly that we wanted to do both because, um, you know, by heart, we are servicing people and we want to leverage, of course, as a young kid on the block at a new bank, we wanted to leverage on our platform and on our transactional services stuff as well. So when you have a, when you have a small bank with a small tier one equity, you need to basically scale up your business and the more partners you get on it, the better it is. And um, I know the discussions when we had with Ernst, you know, and I think we got a little bit of a trust. And uh, when I can uh, spread a little bit of an anecdote here, the first meeting I had with Ernst, um, we went into a small little meeting room and um, I see almost uh, literally smiling Ernst now. In that moment, we got hit by a DDoS attack. Okay. <laughs> so coming back to, to Ernst and me <laughs> intro, um, this is exactly fraud management, you know, and, you know, but... Well, I, I keep kept calm, you know, and got some, you know, kind of jets in around and said, okay, we're just under pressure with the DDoS attack. Um, but I think this created already some kind of trust, you know, that those days being a CEO at the bank, I keep calm, you know. So um, maybe this is also something that we, we said, okay, um, adding something um, to, to earn some major points resilience and in those days it's even more important business continuity management is something that the banks need to leverage on and focus actually on the end client and this is what this financial doing then 1773 and at what per at, at which point in the relationship or in the servicing and maybe not at all do you see the difference michael between sort of servicing uh, a wealth manager like Van Lanschot 
or you've also done some very hip and modern and new fintech sort of uh, bank brands, uh, spin-offs from telcos, etc. Do you actually ever touch the end customer or have to tweak your service levels to meet their very different needs? No, that, that's, that's all of them common. We never touch the end customer. Um, but not touching the end customer does not need that. You don't need to offer service or being service oriented. That's a, sure. that's a real, real difference, you know, and I think this is a kind of an attitude. So actually, you know, digital banks with Greenfield starts, this is what we did on those days um, in the licensing. Um, yeah. But again, we never touch the exactly. end customer. However, we try to understand the end customer needs. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. Hey, and, and also a topic uh, where people are interested in is um, how did you arrange for or how did you catch uh, during the conversations or maybe even in the SLAs, uh, if any, on innovation? Um, did you make arrangement on that one? So future development, latest payment developments, how do you cope with that? Actually, you cannot, you cannot, out of my deepest heart, you cannot uh, um, write down innovation in an SLA. Um, it's a matter of partnership. It's a matter of joint collaboration. It's a matter of listening to the market, of listening to the end clients. Um, it's simply either you, you do it together, you have the contact, you know, with the management, with the top management. And uh, with Falanchot, you know, um, having the fact that uh, Wealth Management Bank is doing outsourcing and not only in payments, but uh, Ernst can talk hours about mortgages, I guess, as well. Um, that means that they have a strict strategy focusing on the end client and you only can survive in that tough market in the Netherlands and the Benelux um, with an innovation wealth management strategy, which focuses on the end client. Yeah. Hey, Ernst, I'm, I'm curious also about your, your take on this one. So how did you discuss or even secure uh, future innovations and future developments um, with your outsourcing partner? Yeah, well, um, we selected Fido um, uh, because of its uh, innovative uh, mindset, the open philosophy and the in-depth payments expertise. And let's say from the start, as uh, as Michael said, from from maybe uh, our first conversation, uh, the one with the DDoS attack, uh, we were quite clear about uh, what kind of a solution we were looking for. And that was, uh, let's say, payments as a service. And I think that that is covering uh, uh, the whole thing. So we we are not, let's say, uh, buying um, only the, the the running operation, but also let's say the innovations um, which are uh, on the shelf, or at least we want to have the choice uh, of buying that innovation uh, or not. And it's uh, I, I totally agree that that's that's very difficult to write that down in an SLA. Um, so that's that's based on on let's say the trust and and of course the view we had on on Fidor uh, with the the, the in-depth uh, payments knowledge uh, and expertise on that side on that moment. Michael, you're already alluding to this. You said you were talking about a tough market, uh, like the Netherlands, the Benelux. And uh, I know it. it you, you sort of, we always say you have to be almost a masochist to sort of do something, uh, uh, you know, rewarding in payments in the Netherlands because we've got one of the best payment systems uh, at the lowest cost. How tough was it actually in real terms for you to embrace sort of local requirements, expectations? You know, in, in Holland, we have this ideal scheme because 
you can also only be a good pass provider if you have a level of standardization in your platform. So how do you balance that out? The local requirements and culture versus agile as standard? Well, let me put it like that way. I think um, it's more on the culture side if you really want to work and collaborate on these things together. You know, it's a give and take and a take and give. Um, it's nothing to do with a, with a fintech or a, an old wealth management bank. It's the people behind it. And if you have a great team and um, maybe also good to, to announce that what was the golden rule. I think we did a long inception phase with Fun Launcher those days with a joint mixed team to really dig into the details as long as we could. Um, but this was already giving a lot of trust in there. And we got this news. And... I mean, I'm being by heart an European guy. <laughs> Europe is not Europe in regards to payments. You have even now no. with PSD2, you have different kind <laughs> of accents, different kind of standards, different oh, yes. kind of ISO, whatever, something. Yeah. There's everything is a little bit different. So yes, of course, as a software company, you want to have the most common standard to have the TCOs down. Um, that's also for, for clients like Ernst very important, you know, total cost of operation. But on the other hand, as long as you need to do the market uh, adaptability, yeah. it's fine. In those days, I mean, we even went one thing further. We went through uh, the UAE and adjusted our system to Sharia. And the question was, was more uh, difficult, um, getting Sharia into our system or a Dutch payment? I, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. All right, Ernst. Back to um, I'm curious uh, now. Now to the to the to the details and more the, the more the how. Um, so, how did you organize your teams in this in this whole effort? Because reporting to the board to, to instigate this at a strategic level is one thing, but the middle layer has to make it happen. So, how did you organize this? Yeah, well, that's an interesting one, but um, I think we found a way. Um, uh, for let's say uh, to build a very good uh, cooperation. So we organized a combined project team uh, with one program manager on VLK side, a Stierko at VLK, but also a joint Stierko together with Fedor. And the combined team, so so let's say in the uh, during the, the program, it was not a project, uh, I would say it was really a program. The combined team worked mainly in the, in the Netherlands uh, and sometimes in, in Germany. And there was, uh, of course, a lot of interaction. Um, and that's the same for Stierkos. And we did not do that, let's say, by phone uh, or via Teams. Uh, no, we traveled a lot. Uh, so Michael traveled a lot to Amsterdam uh, and so did I to Munich. And that was to build a real relationship. Uh, and, and that's really uh, what is conditional in this kind of complex programs, I would say. Sure, sure, sure. Hey, and, and uh, talking about your team, I mean, how did your team react to it? So so basically the, the, the IT or maybe the payments division, uh, how did you communicate? Were they defensive or they were they curious? How, how did they react to this announcement? Yeah, well, in the, in the first phase, it was a kind of a mixed bag, I would say, especially on the IT side. But on the other hand, it was quite clear that well, it, it, we were not able to continue on the, on the, on the way we were in. So it was for everybody, um, I think great to see that, uh, we did not stop, uh, offering, let's say the payment services, but continue, but, and then continue working together with a partner, which was really a fintech, let's say in the, in the, in the second phase, which, uh, gave a lot of energy. 
uh, that that kind of a collaboration. So so maybe in the in the very first phase it felt a bit like a, like a threat, uh, but it became uh, the other way around. I would say ah, an opportunity. And there, of course, we we um, yeah, uh, our project team uh, worked together in this uh, in this journey. So we we worked with our payment specialists in this project. Uh, and then we did a lot of communication uh, in the in the whole program, and I think that that's really important. And did did all the people thoroughly enjoy it? Because I I, I get your point, huh? but I'm trying to sort of get behind the story. If you Of course, first you see it as a threat. Then you think, wow, we're going to work with a super cool new player. So this is going to be fun. But obviously, once the transformation has taken place, there is a shift in talent eh? in, in what you still require in-house. And, you know, how did you deal with that? Definitely, definitely. Uh, and, and therefore, we started communicating uh, and be transparent about the whole program, about what kind of phases we are in um, and what, let's say, the end product and what does that mean for the organization uh, and more specific what does that mean for you uh, because at the end of the day a restructuring of our payments department was let's say another phase which uh, which was uh, yeah um, a difficult one for for of course uh, a few of the team members but uh, being very transparent on that years ago already uh, i think that that was um, key for success now we're getting into the real dirty details guys so um the good the bad and maybe even the ugly if you would like to share uh, i leave that to you but um uh, first uh, well can you share with us what what went according to plan what not um uh, how, how did it go the project okay so there must have been some things let's start with the good news so we heard a lot of the good news you were transparent the transformation on the right you were collaborating to a very satisfactory level you're still in the same room together you're still partners uh, uh, four years on so that's all uh, the good news but I think you know for the benefit of our listeners it really helps if you say you know what in hindsight I would have approached that differently yeah well of course well outsourcing payments to another platform is highly highly complex and I think we did not underestimate However, the program took much longer than expected. Even after doing um, uh, the inception study, uh, Michael told us um, before. But according to plan, um, uh, the positive thing, things, uh, I would say the way of work, collaboration, uh, which was and is still uh, a real partnership. And that's, yeah. uh, that's I think, the, the good thing. And I, and I think it's totally fair if you say it was, uh, it took longer. Because in all fairness, you know, most banks are still talking about this. So yeah, I think being courageous uh, and being honest are two excellent treats for particularly somebody who's a wealth manager. Michael, what would you say uh, went well or could you have done better? Or maybe a fun question would be, what went unexpectedly better? What positive side effect was there? Maybe to you as well, Ernst, you know, sometimes things by accident go better than expected. 
Well, the, making the fun answer first, you know, I, I started to love Heineken Zero Zero. Ah. <laughs> and that's as a Bavarian guy, so that was really unexpected. Uh, Poor that, thing. Uh, the Dutch beer is good. Coming from <laughs> Munich, that's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> well, you know, but tastes are global. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but like Ernst said, you know, the devil is in the detail, as we Germans say. And um, of course, I mean, Ernst mentioned at the beginning, if you exchange a mainframe, And, um, yeah, we tried not to underestimate, but being very transparent, wow, <laughs> exchanging a mainframe as a fintech those days, um, you need to be brave. It's a huge challenge and you need a real good team and you need to have a real detailed, detailed, detailed runbook. And, um, you know, all these prejudices about fintechs, you know, saying, okay, very good ideas, very quick, but, um, hmm. And, and, and so this is, let's say, where we took a lot of effort that, and it took longer on that and different migration waves. Um, but that, that, that was also not a threat. This turned out in a real opportunity or in a real good thing because, um, this was a detailed exercise through the team, which we really, yeah, must have hit every data field in the databases and in the old mainframes. And, um, Well, you forget about that, to be honest. It's like with small kids. <laughs> you always forget about the bad things, you know, sleep at night. Um, yeah. And end of the day, as we sit today here, you know, it's a, it's a great collaborative partnership. And um, it was always both-sided and particular with Ernst and the management team who backed us also in difficult times with Fedor. Um, that shows that we do a lot of things right and, and this has uh, a good future as well. And that is what is what counts at the end of the day, that the client is happy and the end clients are happy. So they did not treat you really as the vendor, but it was truly a relationship, which is quite a big difference. Yeah, we were very clear about that as, uh, as from the start, I would say. So uh, I told Michael, we do not want to end up in a client-vendor relation or a client vendor situation, but, um, let's, let's aim for a, for a real partnership. Um, because I, I think everything is, uh, is in that simple yeah. word. And your wives benefit from all these lessons learned till this very day. <laughs> Are you referring to the Heineken 0.0? No, no, no. Now, Ernst, Ernst, um, before we uh, get into the future, um, so if you would go to back to your board today, do you think they are, you know, that they think like, hey, okay, looking back, it took four years, um, but um, we reached our goals or we, we are happy with it? Uh, yeah, definitely. So, so the, the program, um, took a bit less. Uh, yes, it was a long program, but not, uh, uh let's say uh, four years, but, um, the short answer is, uh, is yes. Michael, then finally one for you, uh, going also, looking also at sort of, uh, your, your, the, the, the recent uh, developments again, you started out as a bank, you tested the model and the tech same way uh, in, in many ways as uh, security first network bank did in the early 2000s you saw the bank worked the bank went to uh, bpce with the, t the the tech solutions and now the tech solutions have gone with you into uh, sopra banking um, and the, the customer stayed with the bank It's the second time that I see this in sort of a 20-year range with sort of early startup fintech-style uh, uh, banks. Does this teach us that in the end it's very hard for banking operations and uh, die-hard technology savvies to live under one roof? That's a real difficult question um, because I think it's a case-by-case -case decision. 
if you have the management in the bank who is tech savvy and acknowledges that technology must create value and can create value for the own clients, but is also as open to allow other clients to get this competitive advantage yeah. and being innovative and create that for other banks as well, that you're brave enough as a bank to say, okay, my solution I can offer to other banks as well, then you can survive. Yeah. Yeah. And it works under one But it's, it's fun, it, exactly. And it doesn't reflect on either of those situations, but it's the second time that I'm seeing this. And you just see that, of course, the core DNA of a banker is more protective and the core DNA of a tech person is what's next. <laughs> You're totally right, yeah. 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 But again, there's a, there's a bunch of people out there who, who have both in it. And it yeah. makes you something, you need to be open. You need to be open yeah. banking, you need to be open, and you need to always try to reinvent your own business. You need to challenge yeah. all the time yourself. And if you're, a, let's say, a classic banker, then it's not working. You're totally right. And this is what I don't say with any disadvantages or advantages. It's the matter of strategy, what you want and how you want to be in the future uh, profitable business. Yeah. All right. Unfortunately, gentlemen, we're at the end of this um, this podcast. But to conclude, could you please give me one word that describes this case over the last five years from a personal experience point? Ernst. Trust. Trust. Good. And you, Michael? Partnership. Partnership. Thank you very much. I think this is the end of um, uh, the podcast. And for people wanting to lecture themselves on others on payments and banking, I suggest you follow Sopra closely on Twitter, LinkedIn, and at www.soprastereo.com. And thank you for listening to this special FinTech Cappuccino. Don't want to miss another cup? Subscribe to our podcast via Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. And please give us a like or a review so many more FinTech Cappuccino lovers can find us. All right. Have a good week, Ernst and Michael. Thank you very much. Keep a distance and stay close and safe. Thank Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Thank you all. Keep safe.